Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Our title today is New Beginnings in the Power of the Holy Spirit. That is, New Beginnings in the Power of the Holy Spirit. We are uh, surely in a time of new beginnings as the church has been really shaken around the world uh, through COVID-19, which is at the time of this recording, not yet finished, even though we're 15, 16 months into it. So there's been many endings as a result of that. The church that we knew pre-COVID has really uh, shifted and we're all pivoting. uh, And there's a sense of uncertainty. The goal of this podcast very simply is to help you uh, tap into the new beginnings God has for you in your context, but to do so in in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to share with you today a message out of Acts chapter 2 in the story of Pentecost and the story of the birth, the new beginnings that happens there uh, at Pentecost. There's just so much to learn from this incredibly rich passage. Now, whenever I think about endings and new beginnings, a favorite question I like to ask myself, which is is what is it time to let go of in your life right now? And what new chapter might God be wanting to write in your life? So the question, of course, that we're going to deal with in this in this uh, message is, how do I recognize that the Holy Spirit's new beginnings? How do I be attentive to that? And so I'm going to touch in this uh, sermon, in this message, three tensions or emphases that are critically to always keep in mind as we're discerning that Holy Spirit's movement in and through us and around us. The first has to do with the Holy Spirit's focus on the tension of power and character. And so you'll we read, for example, example about you know 15 times in the New Testament, people being filled with the Holy Spirit, an event. Eight times it's an event that happens in a moment of time, things like visions and prophecies and healings. And seven times, however, it refers to a lifestyle. And so we're concerned about both of the Holy Spirit's work in us through power and his work of character. And then there's the particular workings of the Holy Spirit and yet very diverse and in terms of giftings. And you got that tension of particular giftings and yet widely diverse giftings. And then finally, you've got this thrust in scripture of the Holy Spirit outside of us uh, coming into a room, speaking externally. The same time, the Holy Spirit speaks from inside of us. He lives within us and we hold both those tensions uh, inside of us. And so I'm just so excited as you listen uh, to this message and exposition around Acts chapter 2 of Pentecost because uh, I want to, and I just like I know you want to, we want to be receiving God's new beginnings for us in our context, most importantly, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So enjoy uh, this message here out of Acts 2, uh, the story of the birth of the church at Pentecost. Lord, with all of our hearts and all of our souls, We offer you our lives, and we invite you, Father, to speak to us by your word, and uh, grant us, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, an experience of your truth this day, that we might honor you, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, please be seated, everyone. Thank you. Please go with me to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 14 and 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hands, pull out your iPhone or iPad or Blackberry, wherever you got your, your Bible, and pull that out. And we started a series on the book of Acts a few weeks ago. And we began by talking about endings and new beginnings. 
And if you remember, we said that to receive a new beginning, it always has to start with first there's an ending. And uh, remember the 12 disciples, they had expectations and dreams, uh, but there was an ending that had to, ha- to have to take place that their dream was not going to happen. And then at a transition, God birthed a whole new beginning. And so this letting go is an important part of the process. It's not just external stuff in our lives, but internally. But then there's a waiting time, but then there comes the new beginning. So we didn't spend a lot of time on the new beginning. But that's where we are right now in our little progression here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. That's our focus today, the Holy Spirit and uh, new beginning. So we close that, at least that first message, by asking the question, you know, what is it time to let go of in your life right now? What is it time to let go of in your life right now? And then secondly, what new chapter is God wanting to write with your life right now? The nice questions to to begin our message this morning as we talk about the Holy Spirit and new beginnings. Because you can't talk about the Holy Spirit without talking about new beginnings. They go hand in hand. Because God's got some new things for you and and for me uh, today. So so the invitation of God as we move into this text here, it's a phenomenal text, is that you're going to open yourself up uh, in a greater way to the sway or the moving of the Holy Spirit. That you'll allow the Holy Spirit to fill your human spirit. And that you'll enter into more fully this whole radical new way of living. And really, in some ways, what we're talking about today from Acts chapter 2, this, this is the very essence of the spiritual life. This, this is it. We're, we're at the core. And so today, may, may you recognize his voice. In a greater way. May you, may you hear and sense the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life in a greater way. May, may you and I make greater space to be attentive uh, to that voice and listen. And hopefully be expectant, open to what God has for us. So with that, uh, let's read Acts 2, verses 14 to 21 together. Now, again, the context is, as Greg talked last week, the disciples have been waiting for 50 days uh, for the Holy Spirit to come. That Jesus has risen. Uh, from the dead, they're in this waiting period. Christ has been teaching for 40 days about the kingdom of God. If you remember, we said teaching is not enough. They need power. They need an experience of the Holy Spirit. And so they're waiting. And now for 40 days, Christ has been teaching 10 days. They're in the upper room praying. There's 120 uh, people there as well as the, the 12 disciples. 11, they've added just the 12th one. And so we're going to pick it up here as as the Spirit of God comes in power like a violent wind in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, like a a hurricane. Then there's fire. They speak in these different languages. And there's a tremendous response here uh, of people in the room. And so they, they wonder about what's going on. And so Peter, verse 14, picks it up. And here's what he says. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. It's very tempting to tell a joke right now, but I shall not, because we're reading the Bible together. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. 
blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. All right. Now, again, understand there's 11 disciples left of the original 12. These are very regular people. These, they're facing uh, enormous odds, and they're not very qualified for what's about what's before them. Now, just remember, you have Peter. Peter's the leader, leader of the whole group. Peter's the point leader. Uh, he's got a big problem with his mouth. He's saying things he should not be saying all the time, you know, jumping out of boats, rebuking Jesus, cutting off people's ears. I mean, he's dangerous. He's impulsive. He's in charge, okay? You got James and John, his assistants. I mean, they're called sons of thunder. They're so aggressive. Uh, When one village rejected Jesus, they wanted to call down fire and wipe out the village. Yet Philip, with the feeding of the 5,000, very pessimistic, saying it'll never get done. You got people like Nathaniel, who's a racist, who says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You've got Matthew. Uh, He's kind of like the only one mentioned by his profession because he was so low. He was like a mafia guy of today, you know. Yeah, James and Thaddeus, we don't know anything about them. They're, they're nobodies, you know. You, you got Thomas, who's depressive, doubting, melancholy, who knows, bipolar today, I don't know. You got Simon the Zealot, this guy's a freedom fighter, half a terrorist, you know, he's ready to go to, to his death to overthrow Rome. And then you got Judas running the money, okay? So this is not a happy group of campers. They cannot even get along with each other. Okay, they're fighting between themselves. They all come from the same cultural, ethnic, racial group. Let alone cross geographic barriers and racial barriers and language barriers and religious barriers and cultural barriers. I mean, they're surrounded by a Roman Empire that's hostile. They just, they just slew Jesus, their leader. There's 30 Roman provinces. They're in a little corner of one of them in Judea. Uh, the Romans demand worship of their own emperor. And on top of that, there's about, some scholars say, 30,000 gods that are being worshipped around the Mediterranean Sea alone. And the, they don't have any buildings, they don't have any money, they don't have any uh, resources at their disposal. In fact, their track record is failure. Uh, lots of failure is their resume. They don't like change, they're very slow to learn, and they have very heavy accent. They're kind of considered, considered, in my opinion, the Beverly Hillbillies of their day. This is them, all right? I don't know if you know the Beverly Hillbillies, a show from the 1960s, but uh, that's them coming into Jerusalem to proclaim Jesus, all right, to give you a sense of what they're up against. It's important you're able to to, to get a sense of what's going on here because this is is impossible. But um, these 12 disciples with 120 people in an upper room and, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes. In such power that there's an explosion. And uh, Greg showed this wonderful map last week. And, and so understand that in one day, not in one day, in one moment, as the Holy Spirit falls in that place, they begin to speak in, in tongues and in languages of all these other nations that are in the room, these 120. You've got Jews from all over the empire. You've got them from Turkey and Syria and parts of Asia. You've got all of you know, North Africa. You've got the Arabian Desert. You've got over here the, you know, the Iranians, the Iraqis of today, up towards Afghanistan. You've got an, the whole Roman Empire in one room. And in this day, as the Holy Spirit comes, the, the gospel, the proclamation of Jesus goes out to all these countries in a moment. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And, and basically, the church in one day goes to 3,000 people. 
And soon after, it goes to 5,000. And by, as the book of Acts moves, as the Holy Spirit's unleashed, the whole Roman Empire is impacted. And the book of Acts ends as basically now the, the message of Jesus is going out to the whole world. But understand, these were 12 Beverly Hillbillies going nowhere. And, and as the Holy Spirit came, all of history is changed. I mean, we're here in this room. Most of us, we live our lives by, by sheer willpower. I mean, our own self-effort. We think, you know, we, we, we make plans. What can I do? What can I not do? You know, do I have the ability to get this done? Do I have the energy? Do I have the resources? We, we don't really think, I need a supernatural God to get something done. We don't look for this outside power to depend on every moment of every, every day. Most people even call themselves Christians. We function as functional atheists. We almost live as if we're God. We almost live like there's no God, practically, day to day. We run our own lives. And, and then we think intellectually, does this make sense? Uh, does everything line up? What are the pros? What are the cons? And we make decisions for our lives. And again, we're not thinking of, of a supernatural invasion of God energizing me, taking me to a place that I've never gone before. In fact, most of us, we live our lives based on experts. What do experts think about our financial future, our careers? And we tend to be fearful about the future and pessimistic. And, and if you remember that website, www.despair.com, I mentioned it a few weeks ago. I found out a lot of you like that website, which is very interesting. But they have all these posters they, they, they show, and it's the opposite of the motivational posters we see in lots of... Uh, places and, and and here's one and it, sh- it shows you a guy and yeah, yeah, very hard to see from the way in the back there's a, there's a fellow he's climbing the cliff there and you've got the you know who knows the mountains here and and it says doubts in the battle between you and the world bet on the world <laughs> we're like absolutely and uh, because of our own self-image and so what happens is is we settle into being stuck in life and kind of like going on autopilot we hit a wall and we, we, we just stay there. Now, but you understand, and the, the gods of other religions through history, they're different than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because they're not alive. The God of Israel breathes. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's, he's moving. He acts. He speaks. He does things. And so it's very different than other world religions like Confucianism or Buddhism or, or, or Islam or Hinduism. And the Old Testament, we see throughout the Old Testament scripture is God breaking in from time to time and moving on people like Samson and Gideon. And, and, but normally he, he falls on people for a time, there's a beginning and an ending. And he always falls on certain kinds of people, mostly prophets, priests, and kings. People like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel and Joseph and David and Saul. But when Jesus comes, he begins to say, he goes, there's going to be a shift now, he says. Because it's not going to be as the Spirit came in the past. He goes, he goes I want you to understand something. John 14, he says, I'll, I'm going to ask the Father. He says, after I die and resurrect, he goes, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Catch this, what's underlined there. A comforter or a context. The Holy Spirit's going to come after I die and resurrect and die for the sins of the world. He's going to be with you. Now it's going to be permanent. The Holy Spirit's going to fall on you. And he's going to stay with you. And not only is he going to be on you, the God of the universe, is, by the Holy Spirit, is going to live actually inside of you. This, friends, is a huge shift. And so, if you look closely and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... 
you will see the same saying in each of them about Jesus and saying this. That there's an unfolding of history, John the Baptist says. And remember, John the Baptist was baptizing people for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But John says, I want you to understand something. I'm baptizing you with water for forgiveness of sins. But he will come and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He goes, the whole reason of the Lamb of God coming to take away the sins of the world, he's going to take away your sins. Why? So that the Holy Spirit, God himself, can live inside of you. In fact, this is going to be so enormously powerful, the only word that I can use is the word baptism. It's quite a word. Now, here is the water. And here is you. You are a t-shirt. Smells good. All right, you're good. Now, and he says... Jesus will come and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This moment is going to come in history. It's going to change everything. And that's what Pentecost is, Acts chapter 2. Now, the word actually means to be dunked. It means to be submerged. It means to be soaked in the Holy Spirit. Now, most of us, we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of like, you know, dipping our toe in, you know. We don't want him to change too much, you know. He knows where he's going to take us. And we're very cautious about it all. You know, you're here and saying, hey, 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 back off, Pete. You know, I got crazy on me. But the word here for Jesus coming to to release the Holy Spirit is that you and I will be baptized. We'll be soaked, kind of like Niagara Falls coming on us. And so it's like this. Here's your life. And you're not just going to dip your big toe in. You're going to actually get soaked in the Holy Spirit. Your your whole person is going to come up and and your mind, your body, your spirit, your memories, your future thoughts. You're just soaked. You're, you're, You're transformed by the Holy Spirit having soaked you. Do you understand? Jesus has died for the sins of the world and risen again. So now he can actually live inside of you, though, by the Holy Spirit. And you're not the same person you were when you came out. And that's what happens to the 11 right here. So uh, we didn't think this through first service, what to do with you after you got soaked. So, but they, they brought me a towel for a second. So we had to use my pants first service. It was a bit embarrassing. You know? My wife was hysterical. I'm glad she's not here. But it's very important you understand this, that, that, that the image is this, that, that the, the image is of a, of a river coming. And verse 17 and verse 19, you're going to read the phrase, because Peter quotes Joel from the Old Testament hundreds of years prior to Christ about the Messiah is going to come. And when he comes, he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That word for pouring out is the word for a river. It's a baptism. It's going to soak you. You're going to be inundated. It's going to be a deluge. It's going to be. It's going to swamp you. It's going to transform you from the inside out. You'll never be the same. And he says, in the last days, we're in the last days. The, remember, the world's four or five billion years old. Okay, it's, we're in the last days. The moment the spirit came, the last days began. Okay, and actually, it closes in verse nineteen twenty, talking about I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. That's that's a that's a sign of the last days of the last days, the very end of history. Jesus talked about all these signs in the heavens that will happen. That's verse 20, 20 and twenty one. But right now, friends, we are in the last days. The Spirit of God has come, and so now it's like this is your life and my life. We're we're like a dry riverbed. Do you feel like that? There's nothing there. God says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit in you, and here's what you're going to be like afterwards. You will be so transformed. You'll be unrecognizable. It'll still be you. But something's going to be coming out of your life of such fruits, of such blessing, of such a gift. Absolutely. That is worth an applause. Absolutely. 
that your life will have an extravagant abundance to it. That, that's, the, that's the image here. It's not just a, a little drop of a drizzle. This isn't a little sun shower at three in the afternoon. This is a valley of dry dones receiving an abundant torrential river flowing, saturating your life. And so he says, I will pour out, verse 17, my spirit on all people. It's not just for, for kings and prophets and special people. It's regardless of your age, your sex, your ethnicity, your country, your, your, your status. And I love it. He goes, he goes, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Okay, sons and daughters. That means most of us, we put children, you know, ah, the kids. No, no, no. Your sons and daughters are going to bring a word from God. The children. And he goes, your young men will see visions. We tend to write off young people, right? If you're in employment and you hire some kid out of college or someone who just graduated high school, you say, ah, go make me coffee, kid. Right? We tend, to, we tend to disparage young people. Say, what do they have to offer yet? No, he says, even the young people are going to have visions from God about what he's going to do. And then he goes on and goes, your old men will dream dreams. We write off old people, don't we? We put them in nursing homes. No, you want to understand them? Old men and old women are going to get dreams from God about what he wants to do. They're going to bring life full of trees. They may be sitting in a nursing home. God is on those people. I'm going to pour out my spirit on them as well. And then he goes, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit and soak them in the last days. A great inclusion of women in this text. Jesus gave a key role to women. He made them his disciples. So it's not just, it's interesting, the, the women issue. This is this a culture, much like, you know, we think of like the, the Afghan Taliban with women, you know? I mean, the culture of Jesus' day was, was I mean, women were, were seriously despised. Here he's saying, no, women, they're going to receive the Spirit as well in great power. They're going to prophesy, have dreams and visions as well. Everybody. It doesn't matter if you're rich, which is interesting because Acts is written to a very wealthy, educated man named Theophilus. Paul was highly educated. The disciples were highly uneducated. You know, good Beverly Hillbilly. He says, it doesn't matter. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to soak all people. Wow. And they're going to turn from this to this. The age of the Holy Spirit has been inaugurated. It's the birth of the church we see here in Acts chapter 2. It's a new beginning, friends, for all of us. And so the Holy Spirit, listen, is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a gray blur. The Holy Spirit is a person. And this person is God himself. He speaks, he encourages, he convicts, he exhorts, he guides, he can be grieved. And there are many symbols in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. Symbols like wind and fire and oil and dove. The image given here is of water, of a river flowing in great power. But the whole point of these feeling words of the Holy Spirit is so, so you can touch him. It gives you a sense of, of feeling him. That's why allowing the water to feel like the water is drenching you right now is so significant. But this Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. In fact, the future breaks in in the Holy Spirit in such a way that miracles and healings, they're almost like matter of the fact after this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This person's healed and life changed. And you'll read that in the book of Acts. So we want to recognize, we want to begin to be attentive to the Holy Spirit speaking, moving in your life. Where he's taking you. What he's doing in you. Because you understand, he's taking you from this to that. To the, could you see your life? <laughs> Wait, not from there to there. That would not be good. That's good. <laughs> so, 
Now, we talk about God, the Holy Spirit. This is a pretty big topic. So I want to I unfold it in three, I don't want to call it tensions perhaps, that capture the breath of the Holy Spirit. And we say let's be attentive and open and receptive each of our lives and as a church. Uh, I want you to hold the three statements together. The first is this. The Holy Spirit's about power and character at the same time. Now, let me explain this with a story to begin. William Seymour was a son of slaves. He was born in 1870 in the Deep South. He was born at a time when the Ku Klux Klan was very strong and violent, and blacks had no opportunity for formal education in the United States. He became a Christian, uh, William Seymour. And so he left the South and moved up North. And he actually joined a, as best he could join, he joined a white Methodist church rather than the African-American Methodist church uh, because he had this thing, this thing about that God believed in racial reconciliation uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He became a pastor and evangelist. But he attended a Bible school in Houston, Texas, but he couldn't attend classes because at that time, African-Americans could not be inside the class, but they could sit outside the door and listen in. Uh, and because at that time there was no intermingling of races in the United States. Uh, and if there was a large meeting of, of Christians, blacks were always in the back. Okay. And whites would be in the front. And so eventually he was invited to a small church in Los Angeles near Azusa street. He, he was known to be a very godly, uh, man of deep prayer. And so he went there and he, he was speaking. He began to speak on Acts chapter two. And while he was speaking, the Holy spirit fell on the entire little church. People fell to their knees. And people began to speak in other tongues. And, 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 and suddenly, his wife, who was sitting like, you know, to the right, and, and she was near the piano. She got to the piano. She started playing piano. She didn't even play piano. And she began to sing in these six different languages and actually interpret what was sung. And uh, it was just, it was incredible. And what happened out of this little group of, of cooks and janitors and washwomen and porters, huge crowds of both blacks and whites began to come. And they, they, they were so powerful, something God was doing in the room, that they ended up renting a building down the street on a place called Azusa Street. This, the year is 1906. Huge crowds came from virtually every race, every nationality, and every social class. And meet, they had meetings three times a day, morning, afternoon, and night. And uh, the building sat about 800 people. Does give you a sense? Our building seats about 730, 740 people here in this room. So they're, they're sat 800, but they had 500, they said pretty much every one of their meetings outside the doors trying to listen in what was going on. And, but the miracle that William Seymour had been seeking by the power of the Holy Spirit actually happened. It was a whole revolutionary type of Christian community was born. As one journalist wrote in the Los Angeles Times in 1906, the color line was washed away in the blood. So, not only were people coming to Azusa Street in California, they were going out as well to China, to Africa, uh, to India. And Seymour understood that the implications of the power and the tongues was the baptism of the Spirit for interracial community and reconciliation. He saw that. And so he wrote things like this. The people are all melted together, one body in Jesus Christ. There is no Jew or Gentile, bond or free in Azusa Street. God is no respecter of persons. In fact, he know, historians have noted the interracial miracle 
was way more astonishing than the miracle of tongues. And this openness extended across social classes as well, including women. A number of powerful women emerged out of that movement to be leaders in a church, again, in a culture which wasn't allowing women a lot of freedom. That came out of Azusa Street. But the primary stress of Pentecostal power for Seymour was this baptism of the love of God. That something got released that was so powerful, it just washed away these barriers and judgmentalism. And so, but the ending, however, is really sad. Because here's what happened. William Seymour, as an African-American, he recognized he was not able to do certain things because of the color of his skin. And they wanted to expand into an area-wide revival, rent a larger facility, and he need, they needed partners. And so he invited a man named Charles Parham to come in. Charles Parham was one of the leading white evangelical Christians at that time. And uh, when Parham arrived, Charles Parham arrived, he was aghast at what was going on. He was stunned because of all this racial mingling. He'd never seen it before. And he actually said, God is sick to his stomach over this. And God would not stand for such things. And so the Azusa Street mission splits and most of the white leadership left. They could live without tongues, it was written, but they could not with a revolutionary interracial fellowship that Seymour insisted would flow from the Holy Spirit. The Pentecostal movement, 1906, it split along racial lines. You had black Pentecostal churches and you had white ones. William Seymour died in 1922, 16 years later, at the age of 52, in almost total obscurity. Medically, he had a heart attack, but they say he died of a broken heart. What's so interesting is that today, Pentecostals, that, that all attribute their origins to Azusa Street, number almost a half a billion people on the earth. That all came from William Seymour and Azusa Street. We actually are part of that as well at New Life Fellowship. They say by the year 2040, almost a billion people might be considered charismatic or Pentecostal. But I say this because power and character. This guy Charles Parham that showed up did not have the character in terms of being in the whole, the character of the Holy Spirit to sustain this move of God. It would have cost him as a white man that day with all his power and credential and followers and money, it would have cost him to stand with William Seymour and that move of spirit, it would have cost him a great deal. He was not going to go down that route. Power but no character, and the thing split. What's interesting, if you read Acts chapter 11, the same thing happened to the church of Antioch. Jews hated Gentiles. For thousands of years, they considered Gentiles food for the fires of hell. When God broke out in Acts chapter 11, and Gentiles and Jews began to intermingle, friends, there was some deep tension going on in the church. You're going to marry my daughter? Oh my gosh. So Paul calls up Barnabas. And it says, Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. And he comes there, friends. There's unity and the thing explodes. And here we are today, a couple of thousand years later. Now I say that because in the book of Acts, 15 times the Holy Spirit is described as falling on people. Eight times it's an event. He falls, there's tongues, there's prophecies, there's bold preaching. But seven times it describes people filled with the Holy Spirit. They're immersed in the Holy Spirit. It's gone through their lives and their character and their beings. They become people like Barnabas. Listen, friends, we want both. 
We want the momentary acts of power. Visions, dreams, prophecies, healings, deliverances. You know what? They're here. We want them today. Absolutely. So, in fact, he mentions in verse 17, 18, he mentions prophecies. That you you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. You can hear God and speak a word from God to somebody. You can prophesy. You, you, You can encourage the prophethood of all believers, we call that. Visions. God gives visions. Dreams. I mean... I mean, my goodness, friends, you look at the book of Acts, how he directs through visions and dreams, guides the church and individuals for their future. We have a dreams class that Laurel Favillas taught here a couple of times. Packed class. Some of you have been in it. We had a class for prophetic ministry two weeks ago. Eighty people were here on that. We want, friends, the power of God at New Life Fellowship. Can I hear an amen for that? But we want power. We also want the Holy Spirit. We want character. We want both ends. And, and uh, some of you are scarred because you've been in power with no character. It's like a celebrity getting, a young person becoming really famous. Or somebody winning the lottery, they have millions of dollars. All of a sudden they get all this power, but they don't have the character to handle it. They explode. Their lives crumble. Same thing with churches. Church experience great growth, great power, but they don't have the character to handle it. Church eventually disintegrates. Because they can't, they don't, have the, they don't have the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness. They want power, but not character. That's why emotional health, we got into this in 1996. New life, we had plenty of power going on here in the early years, friends. Every week something was happening. But we weren't very good on character. And we almost exploded. That's why we talk a lot about brokenness and humility and family of origin. The 12 disciples, by this point, three years of failure, they were broken. They were, they were, they were ready to handle the power. I have a mentor named Leighton Ford, whom I've mentioned to you before. He's about 79 years old right now. When you're in his presence, you recognize he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Just being, I hope someday I can get him on stage here. But you recognize he's drenched. Does that mean that he's you know, prophesying over the whole group? No, no. But I tell you this, he oozes out gentleness. He oozes out God. When you're with me, you sense, oh my goodness, this is, this, is the, this is the very presence of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's been through so many betrayals, so much suffering, so many hardships. He has allowed the Holy Spirit to seep so deep in his life. He has nothing to prove to anybody. And you feel it. We have some of our, our elders in this church. That's, that's something that the elders bring to our church at New Life. That they, they're filled with, that's who they are. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have so many of you in this room. You are, you are mothers and fathers in our midst. And we appreciate your character because you give life to this very place. We had a discussion, a few men and I, this past week about pornography addiction, which, as you know, is rampant in our society. And, and we have prayer ministry here at the end of services, right? We lay hands on people. We believe in the power of God being released. And we, in addiction, absolutely. We want to lay hands on you and make God move. But we were talking about you know, how, what a painful, difficult addiction pornography is and we have some groups called pure desire groups at our church and and those of you who come out of 12-step addiction groups know what i'm talking about there's nothing that can that can substitute for not just the power but the slow process of discipleship being in a group accountability week after week working it through that's friends is discipleship that's growing in character that takes months and years to grow into to be a person who is filled with the holy spirit that when somebody bumps into you or offends you you don't take their head off Because you've actually been soaked in in your character by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we want both power and character. Not only that, we also want particular and diverse. What I mean by that is this. In 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the Spirit comes in a particular way at times, but he also comes in very varied ways. So 1 Corinthians 12 says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of workings. Now, each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
I remember when I first became a Christian and I saw somebody preaching and teaching and I was in awe of the power coming out of them. I remember watching a person who was an evangelist, you know, preach the gospel to, to folks who weren't Christians and the power in that meeting. I remember watching a person for the first time with a, with a, a, a prophet who was able to call somebody out. And I was one of those people who got called out at one time and started prophesying over this person and just reading their life. And it was incredible. And, and deliverances and healings. I've been in some incredible meetings of great power. We've had them at New Life Fellowship. I have even fallen on the floor once or twice, you know. It takes a lot for me to fall on the floor, I'll tell you that. And it's biblical that there's power. There's particular manifestations. The problem is, some of us come from church traditions, and I was in one of them, in the Assemblies of God, where if there wasn't a tongue and an interpretation of a tongue, God wasn't in the service. You boxed God into a particular way. That is not biblical. Yes, we want the particular, we want, but God comes in so many unique, powerful ways. That we would never dream of. And, and uh, just like how people come to Christ in such different ways. Some have dramatic conversions, right? Like Paul, boom! Others, it's a very slow process over months and years of being under preaching and being in fellowship. But all of a sudden, they're, they're, you know, they're born again. They're, they're Christians. But because it's different ways. So, for example, uh, you know, in, in the book of Exodus, you have the Holy Spirit falling on these men. And they make cloth and fabric for the tabernacle. And they do construction, interior design. But it's, it's a, one of a varied, diverse way the Spirit's moving. I mean, George, who was here first service, is our carpenter. And Chauncey, we've seen their picture up there. I mean, have you been to that women's bathroom, my friends? Men, don't go in there right now. But when, after church, when they're all gone. But it's a work of art. It's a Spirit of God on those guys. I was at the health center on Tuesday night. And I don't know if you know, they give, they give, they give showers to homeless men on Tuesdays and Saturdays. They line up there. And I'm watching... The volunteers, they, 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 after a homeless person goes in, it doesn't smell so good, you know. They, they clean the shower, and they give them a fresh towel. I mean, it's so moving. I said, I said the Holy Spirit's in this place. Then I thought Dominic cleaning up the bathrooms. He, he works in our building. I mean, those bathrooms, by the time the food pantry's finished, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people going through that bathroom. It's a wreck in there. I said, the Holy Spirit's on Dominic, man. That is the Holy Spirit. That guy's smiling. He's listening to Christian music. I'm like, oh, my gosh. God bless him. Giving money. I've watched people give money that opened up whole new ministries for people and changed their lives. We had at our uh, pastor's conference a, a, a priest named Father Michael. He's an Orthodox Egyptian priest from the Coptic tradition in Egypt. And he came in with this big robe and they wear like really big crosses. Like you wonder how they're walking, you know. <laughs> and like he walked in like every, like I knew him, you know, boom, you know. And it's like, yeah, like God works in diverse ways, different than New Life Fellowship Church. Even in Orthodox churches from places like Egypt and Iraq and, and Anglicans and all types of liturgical traditions that are very different than us at New Life. But the Holy Spirit's workings, friends, are very diverse. Much bigger than we think. God leads some people to be monks or to lives of celibacy or lives of great solitude and contemplation. And we want to affirm those diverse moves of the Holy Spirit. I, I think folks opening up their home to a small group. New Life Fellowship Church, friends, the reconciliation that's going on at New Life Fellowship, friends, this is not a token thing. This isn't, this isn't like the, the United States military. This is, this is something so much deeper going on here. We talk about bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. This, this, friends, is a, is a work of the Holy Spirit, of a community being birthed. That's not because some people planned it out in a strategic plan. It's, it's, a, it's a freedom of the Spirit. When Harvey 
uh, Carrie was here a few weeks ago. He was so impacted by new life. He said, I have never seen anything like this in my life. And by the time he got to third service, he couldn't contain himself anymore. Because I've never seen this kind of a move of the Holy Spirit of people of so many races and cultures. Actually, it's actually a family being birthed. He just, he couldn't believe it. I think we're so around that we forget. Because we live in it every week here. But I'm telling you, friends, some of you in diverse ways, open up your small group to to us. Open up your home, taking leadership. Friends, it is a move of the Holy Spirit as big as speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so we want the Holy Spirit in a particular way. We want diverse. We want both at New Life Fellowship. So watch what a creative ways the Holy Spirit wants to move in and through your life. And then finally, let me close with this. The Holy Spirit comes outside and inside. And I'll be very quick about this. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes from the outside um, and falls on them. You can sense the Holy Spirit in meetings. There are moments you can, you can, he falls in a room uh, that's just so powerful. You, you, it's palatable. I, I, honestly, I can sense him right now in this room. I mean, you sense the, his presence. At our pastor's conference three weeks ago, we had a meeting after the conference for all the internationals, about 60 people in a room. And Mirna said to me, please just get up and welcome them. So I get up, I said, hey, welcome, glad you're here. They were from all different parts of the world. And I said, why don't you just share your name and why you came to the conference? Well, they started sharing one by one. It was, we all knew something happened. It was an hour and a half later when we were finished. Because there was such a sense of power in that room. We were like looking like, what? what's happening? But it was like time stood still. We blinked an eye and it was an hour and a half later. And I'm still not even sure what happened. But Andrew was in that room with me and he said, what? was that? I don't know what it was, but I know it was God falling in a meeting. And so we look for that and we're excited about that. But one of the uniquenesses of new life is we've embraced another big truth about the Holy Spirit that's big in scripture. And that's this, the Holy Spirit also, when you come to Christ, lives inside of you. That was the whole point. He says, the great move of history is the Lamb of God has taken away your sin and now God, the Holy Spirit is coming to live in you. Oh my goodness. That means he's speaking to you out of the unique person you are. That's why we talk a lot about consolations and desolations and what are you feeling? What are you sensing on the inside? And we say things at New Life like this. Is this life I am living the life that wants to live in me? Because God's given you a unique life and the Holy Spirit's in that. And so, you know, this week, for example, I'm going on a retreat with a group for pastors, a small retreat. It's led by out of the Quaker tradition. And the Quakers was the ones that really believed in listening to the Holy Spirit inside of you. They really caught that truth of Jesus. And so they, 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 they have this saying, we don't fix people, we don't advise people, we don't save people. That's God's work. We only ask questions to help you discern the Holy Spirit inside of you. So you've got a, a gift in apologetics. We're going to help you look at what does that look like. We're not going to tell you what you should do. We're not, that's, not, that's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because once you get a hold of God inside of you, you realize nothing in hell is going to hold you back. It's so powerful, it doesn't matter because you realize it's me in the spirit of God. Friends, this is an entire approach to the Christian life that's so radical of being guided, led, soaked, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's living out of a power and a person that is not your own. And do you realize God's speaking today? God's communicating today, God's alive today, and God's taking you somewhere. Now let me invite the worship team forward. Let me close with a little story. Worship team, why don't you come? This comes out of Watchmany. 
And he tells the story about two farmers in rice paddies that had become Christians in China. Now, I'm not... Oh, yeah. So here's the breadth of the Holy Spirit's work we want to embrace. We want power and character. We want particular and diverse. And we want outside and inside. I love it. Amen on that one, friends. And we'll work that out. Okay, here's a rice paddy. I've never, I've never, you know, been to one of these. I can't say I have a lot of experience working in rice paddies. But this is what one apparently looks like. And so you had these two young men in China who became Christians. And they owned one of these rice paddies. All right? And so what they would do is they would fill it up at night with water into these troughs or containers. And they would then flood the rice paddies in the morning so they can grow their rice. And what happened is after they became Christians... These, these other guys who worked a field below them and owned the field, what they did, they'd sneak up at night and they'd open the container with the water and trough and they'd steal their water and get it funneled down to their field below. And so this happened now repeatedly to these two Christians. And they were really upset, obviously. And here, here we're Christians now when Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you do what I say. And they said, we're doing what he says, we're turning the other cheek, but I'm, we're angry we don't like these people. We're not happy. And so, you know, what, what would you do? Well, you go up there, you yell at them. You go up there and you say, I'm going to sue you. Or you say, I'm going to be a doormat for Jesus. Just take the water every night. Uh, <laughs> what do you do? Well, you, so a brother comes to these two guys from the church and says, listen, you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. To lead you. What does it mean to follow Jesus in these rice patties in this moment? And to apply the teaching of Jesus. And so they pray. And what happens, one of the two guys gets this inner sense from the Holy Spirit of what they're to do. And it was this. He says, I want us, I think God wants us to go fill up their container or their trough first at night. If everybody goes to bed and then we'll fill ours up. And we're going to do this every day. So they've got plenty of water. We've got plenty of water. And we'll do this each day. And we'll see what God does. And they were actually very happy because they were doing the work of two fields anyway. So they did it. And of course, you know the rest of the story. I hope it's true. After three days, the guys below come up to these two Christians and says, why are you doing this? You know, and what is this all about? And of course, they tell them about Christ. And they become Christians. I don't know. (laughs) That's how the story goes. But the point is, do you understand, how can you live the Christian life tomorrow unless you're moving in the Holy Spirit? How are you going to apply following Jesus at your school or workplace or family? Do you understand? You need to be drenched. And this baptism is not just a one-time deal. It's something we've got to live constantly being soaked in the Holy Spirit. So that you can be asking him for guidance as you seek to follow Jesus in your setting. Listen, this is the last days. It's urgent. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved.